Hi everyone, this is Spiritual Jada from the Wicked Wisdom Podcast Show. I hope everyone is well. So tonight's show, we have a very special guest, Ms. Coleman. She is a wife of an innocent and wrongfully convicted man. Um, now on January 5th, 2012, Leonard Coleman received a life sentence in Mobile, Alabama for a crime another man confessed to committing. And unfortunately, this has been going on for decades in the black community. Many black brothers, black sisters have suffered uh, due to the justice system. And the justice system is supposed to be to uh, help everyone, no matter what your color is. But unfortunately, with the many stories and the increase of stories up until today, it seems, unfortunately, that's not the case. So it's a pleasure to have you, Miss Coleman. Please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what your mission is and your story. Well, first of all, thank you so much for reaching out. Um, I'm not sure which story or which post it was, but I'm grateful that um, our story captured your attention. And I enjoy doing these podcasts because whatever I can do to help raise awareness for Leonard's situation, I am just... Um, uh, forever grateful for these opportunities. So Leonard and I met in the fall of 2020. So actually, I think it might be tomorrow. We're together for 18 months, a year and a half. And so we started out actually as just friends and liked each other. But then, of course, in the course of talking for so many hours every day, just getting to know one another, I got to know about his story. And so I had no idea that this was such an I guess the word could be epidemic or such a problem in our society. Um, You know, you kind of live your life every day just doing your own thing, oblivious to what other people are going through. And so I was horrified and shocked and all types of emotions to learn that this man, who was a single father, homeowner, TSA background approved, he had no prior convictions, that he could have been railroaded like this. And so I um, came into his life at a time where two people had actually stepped forward because they heard a full confession from the perpetrator three years after Leonard was wrongfully convicted. And so nobody knew about any of this until these men were in a barber shop where Leonard's uncle happened to be in the fall of 2020. And just one thing led to another and Leonard's uncle was able to connect them with a private investigator so they could actually put their statements on file officially Um, So it wouldn't just be like, oh, Leonard's uncle heard it. And so we filed these um, statements that they heard a full confession with the Mobile County Circuit Court in April of 2021. So we're going on almost a year now that the court's been holding on to this evidence and Leonard is still incarcerated. And so when we filed those statements, that was um, my catalyst, my inspiration to start the Change.org petition on the Instagram page to try to shine a light on this as much as I could. So I'm a wife slash manager, so to speak. Right. <laughs> okay, totally understand. So um, can you tell us a little bit about the story, about what happened to uh, your husband and what led into him getting incarcerated? And I noticed when I did a little research myself um, after I signed the petition and things like that, um, I noticed that a man, another man, already confessed to the crime. But 
your husband's still incarcerated. I mean, I, I have a lot of background with this. I mean, I can understand, but it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, absolutely. My husband actually lost custody of his three-year-old at the time. And I, mean, I have a relationship with her and she's she's a good kid and she ended up with a decent family and everything. And, and he still has a relationship with her. But yeah, this, this is traumatic for more than just the victim's family in these situations. Um, it's traumatic for the person who's wrongfully incarcerated. It's traumatic for the family of the person who gets locked up. Um, so, so what happened is that Leonard uh, had an on and off relationship with the beloved victim and God rest her soul um, because he speaks very highly of her and I'm sorry for what happened to her genuinely. Um, and so they were on and off um, and also co-parenting their child for five, five years, yeah. So like, what happened is, and, and what I think happens a lot of times in these situations is that the, the partner or the person closest, like the romantic partner, often gets blamed and railroaded and a case is built around them instead of trying to actually look at facts and evidence and get to the truth. And that's kind of what happened in this situation. So um, there was, we know this now, we just didn't know at the time. I say we, I just met Leonard a year and a half ago. But at the time, um, so Leonard, had gotten into or i should say someone had gotten into an altercation with leonard at a gas station and pulled a gun on him and we know now this person had issues with substance abuse so started pulling the trigger on leonard at a gas station thank goodness the safety was on and they had a previous history where this person blamed leonard for some things and so leonard defended himself of course fought the guy off i mean it was kind of like life or death at that point and this person became very angry and in front of other people threatened to kill Leonard and the victim. And someone heard this and also put their statement on file last year. So we actually have three affidavits with the court. So we now know it was this person because his best friends put statements on file um, in 2020. They, um, like I said a little bit ago, they heard a confession from him, but three years after all of this happened. So basically, this is the person we know now that actually did it. Leonard and the victim saw each other the day that everything happened and the, the baby had a doctor's appointment. He was four years old, I believe at the time. And so they were deciding, okay, is Leonard going to go with her? Um, or are they gonna, you know, she'll catch him up later. And so basically they saw each other early, early in the morning. Um, and she told him, just go home, take care of your landscaping. I know you're trying to sell your house. Just come back in the afternoon. I'll give you the doctor's note for the school. I'll tell you what's going on with uh, the child. So they went their separate ways and Leonard went home to work on his house. And actually his neighbor testified in court. They had been speaking for hours during the crime window um, because the victim actually was going to take the child to a doctor's appointment at 9.30 in the morning, but she never made it. And so this is an important piece of the story that didn't come up at trial. So Leonard's uh, neighbor testifies at trial, hey, we were talking from like 7.30 in the morning to like 11.30, something like that, but it was a good like at least three hours. It's in the trial transcripts. And um, so then Leonard gets ready to go pick up his kids from school and sees a whole bunch of police cars heading in the direction of the victim's house. So he's like, well, maybe I should like detour here and like make sure everything's okay because he knew the child was sick and um, the victim was gonna take him to the doctor and he just wanted to make sure everything was okay. And that's when he realized something was going on, but detectives actually pulled him in immediately 
for investigation and interrogated him for 14 hours. So, wow. yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that's, that could be traumatizing. I mean, we have so many 100%. stories that's coming to light. I'm not sure if you're yeah. um, affiliated with the Central Park uh, Five. I did a story oh, back. I watched that movie. Yeah, yes. that had me in tears. Like, I, yeah, yeah, same, same. It's just unfortunate. And that's why I love stories like this. Like I said um, a little earlier when me and you were talking before we even started the show, um, yeah. I don't disclose a lot when it comes down to my background but I am a wife who was uh with someone married had two daughters um and he was incarcerated for almost 12 years so like I know the struggle I know what it is to be in love with someone be married with someone uh have kids from someone and you know have to explain to your kids the situation which is you know is difficult because my daughters at the time were pretty young and it's hard to try to convey to children that your father is not around <laughs> you know so i totally understand that whole situation you know so um yeah how absolutely. does your husband feel about everything like how like one of the the things that drew me to him and wanting to get to know him better was just how mentally resilient I found him to be. I was actually shocked, uh, very surprised when I met him that this situation has not broken him and that he's actually used it to help other people. He's helped 14 other people with their own cases while he's been incarcerated. He's gotten numerous certificates and he's still very spiritually strong. He's still a very engaged father. Um, he's still a good and decent human being. And so um, there's that part of it. Then there's the other side of him that not everyone sees, but you get to see as a wife, and I'm sure you know this um, from firsthand experience, but there's the days that are just mentally dark for him, that he has to force himself to get up, that he doesn't necessarily want to go on living um right. and he wonders like why me why did this happen specifically to me and so um it's it's hard for him and i think he's also growing a little bit reasonably impatient because mobile county circuit court has been handing uh holding on to these statements um from the perpetrator's best friends for next month will be a year and so we there was a hearing that happened between the judge and the assistant DA, Chris McDonough, and our attorney in January, January 26th. At that time, the presiding judge said, I'll hand over my decision within a week. Well, now it's been two months. And so naturally, like it's becoming really, you know, Leonard, he struggles um, with his mental health like anyone would in that situation. And so my heart hurts for him. Right. I totally understand, like, everything about that can change a person like um my husband well we're still married but we're yeah. uh we're like separated but um i know when before he got incarcerated like me and him we met when we was teenagers so before he got incarcerated huh i'm sorry you go way back yeah so i remember when like he was like a happy person like you know yeah. goofy had a really good sense of humor mm -hmm. but i noticed when like as the years back 
went by like his things changed like even when he came out he wasn't the same person like it it could have been times that we could have been at a dinner and we could have been engaged in the deep conversation and next thing you know he like zones out and I'm like are you okay and he's like oh I'm sorry like I just had like a flashback like of things that I were going that I was going through um when I was incarcerated and I'm like goodness gracious like this incarceration system is really breaking these black men down. I mean, in the system and when they get out. So it's like, goodness, like somebody really needs to, you know, go in and take a look at the prison system and reevaluate it. But, you know, that's asking a lot, you know, as I get, I understand the system a little bit more and how the the way the world works. Because if we're going to, like, be talking reality stuff, you know, there's certain groups, E-like groups that run the world. So with that being said, these injustices that we go through, people of color, it's going to be quite hard because these E-like groups built the justice system, the world, the Western civilization. They built it like that for a reason. Not for us to excel. And I'm just honestly speaking. I I could not possibly agree more. And I didn't really, I couldn't probably have spoke on any of this like a year, a year ago when I first started my advocacy. But now, like, um, since my page has been up for uh, May, Mother's Day weekend will be a year. I see, I saw a post recently and this was um, a news program that was happening overseas in Europe, it sounded like maybe from the United Kingdom, and they were discussing the United States criminal justice system, and they got raw with it. They said, um, you know, for the percentage of our population, you know, against the world's population, we have the highest percentage of incarcerated people in the entire world, and they are talking about the United States, not from the inside, but from the outside looking in, which is probably more objective. And so they're saying that it looks to them like we're using our prison labor to compete with China because a lot of the things that these inmates make and handcraft says made in the USA and people don't even know that they're getting paid cents an hour to make these items. And so they look at our prison system as a for-profit business. And I really cannot disagree, even from other perspectives of how much it costs to for my husband to have healthy food. So if he doesn't want to eat the toxic food that comes from the cafeteria, well, then I put money on his books so that he can have real food from the market. How much it costs? Like, I think it's 75 cents per 15 minutes for Leonard and I to have a phone call. And then every text that you send each other through Securus, there's money there because you have to pay for the stamps. And so that doesn't even count his toiletries or if his shoes, you know, get worn out and he needs more shoes or whatnot. And so our prison system is not restorative. It does not rehabilitate these men. It does not mentally support them. It actually just helps make billions of dollars for this country, and that's a proven fact. And so then there's the other part of it that we touched on earlier in the conversation is these men are so traumatized by the Alabama is actually the Alabama DOC is getting sued by the federal government for its prison conditions. Wow. Um, because they're so violent, they are so overcrowded. 
And so Kay Ivey is the governor there, and her solution to this was to use COVID relief funds to build yet more prisons. That's how toxic and dysfunctional it is over there. They're also very notorious for not letting people parole out. So that just further exacerbates the overcrowding that's going on over there. So then you pile all these men together. They didn't have visitation for 20 months during COVID. They just opened visitation back up in Alabama in December for one hour only. So these men are being treated like animals in there instead of the human beings that they are. Resources are not being invested into them. And so then we wonder why they come out of prison with PTSD. And so I, I completely agree with you um, that prison reform is absolutely needed. And when Leonard comes home, we hope to advocate for some of these causes together side by side. Absolutely. I, I, I love the whole idea of this because it's, it's so true. Like, I think each prison system in each state needs to be looked at because I, I'm in New York City, so I, I'm okay. way up north, and our yeah. prison system is just as nasty. Like, Rikers Island has been, oh, you know, standing since, like, the late 1800s, and, like, yeah. the, the whole system, the way it looks inside is the same way. Like, it's so much, the gangs, like, it's just... Is, is bad. Like, in the way they treat the families, too, when you go to visit uh, your loved ones at these facilities, you're treated as an inmate as well. Like, it's just, it's traumatizing. It's traumatizing for the family itself. If you have children, it's like, it's really bad. And where we live at, like, everyone, if you get incarcerated, probably about nine times out of 10, you're gonna go through Rikers Island before okay. you go up north. And when you go up okay. further up north, people of color, is not a lot of people of color in these areas. So we have a lot of cases. I also work with someone who also works with people that has been um, wrongfully convicted and he has been wrongfully convicted as well. So, um, and there's cases where a lot of these African-American men and women, they go up north and all of a sudden they're dead. You know what I mean? Because they're, if you think about it, these type of systems that are up north, it's all Caucasian, all Caucasian staff, things of that nature. You know, people are looking into cases. A lot of these uh, deaths, when you look at the fouls, uh, times is made up, things, crucial evidence is missing, you know, so yes, a reform, I'm totally for it. It needs to happen, especially with the, uh, the law enforcement as well. So much, so much things need to be changed. And it's like, you have a lot of people that's out here trying to fight for that change, but it's just, it just seems like it's falling on deaf ears. And that's when I go back into, uh, what I was saying earlier, like you have to realize at the end of the day, this doesn't justify that you should quit the fight. You should keep fighting. You know what I mean? Because this is why we have the things that we have, why we can ride the bus, sit on the bus anywhere that we like, why we could vote because those people, they fought for us. So we have to fight. But like I said, again, you have a couple of elite 
groups that run the world. And unfortunately, a lot of these these issues that we have with the prison system is going to take quite some time for those things to change, you know? Absolutely. And I said this last week on um, a live that I did with a young man that's been a big supporter of Leonard's case, Shabazz. And, um, you know, we talked to Leonard for a couple hours the week prior just to discuss the topics that we were going to cover during that live. And my husband has this theory that, I mean, I have no reason to disagree with it, that, you know, and especially in Alabama, because he was convicted in the South by a white judge, a white DA, and 11 out of 12 white jury. And so his experiences in Alabama have been very different than me growing up in Central Florida. Sometimes I feel like he's talking about another planet. You know, people will hear me say this a lot. And so, you know, Leonard has this theory that mass incarceration is really a way it's like a genocide on the black race and that people these men are incarcerated for so long that it prevents procreation of the black race and so it's like a strategy and you know what from the way the statistics look i stand by what my husband is saying and uh going back circling back to something you said about law enforcement um i'd like to provide an actual example because you're so right you know and so The lead detective in Leonard's case actually had a romantic relationship with the victim. Wow. And so I don't come on here to slander anyone or to put, you know, false things, falsehoods out there and get myself in trouble. But that's a conflict of interest. It's going to be hard on that one because he had a romantic relationship. Absolutely. And so, you know, even though he didn't come to court to testify, it was a different detective. Still, you have to know, I believe these guys are a fraternity anyway, and they all support each other anyway. So he could have very well told the guy who went to court, hey, listen, make sure he hangs for this or whatnot. And Leonard told me, and so I have no reason not to believe my husband. Leonard said that this person told him, the lead detective told him, this person's on the first 48 now. He even got promoted and everything. But he said, Leonard said, you know, so-and-so told me that he was going to make sure the charges stuck and that I would become just another black statistic. And this is a black lead detective, by the way. So we have a black man doing this to another black man. It's just sickening. Wow, that's, that's unfortunate. And, you know, I hear this a lot. I hear a lot of conflict of interest in a lot of cases. And it's yep. unfortunate that somehow the DA misses that you know but we all know that they don't miss that but i just want to piggyback off of what you said a little bit earlier um you know as far as what your husband said mass incarceration he's absolutely right that that is just like it's to the point where i've been i'm a historian i'm a journalist i'm a researcher i research a lot of things that you know, deal with the black race, black struggles, where we came from, how we started. Uh, You know, I, I really, I'm really interested in that. And when I think about it, how slavery started now, slavery at some point is stopped becoming beneficial. And that's why Abraham Lincoln decided to end slavery. Not because he thought it was wrong. People have to, you know, get the facts correct and, and um, basically, with that being said, slavery just evolved 
into many different things and mass incarceration is one of them. Redlining, health disparities. And when I mean health disparities, because a lot of people don't understand what that means. A person of color, it can be a woman and there's many cases. She can go into the hospital and say, you know, I'm getting chest pains, things of that nature. And depending on the type of feedback she get, and most likely this is the all Caucasian staff at the hospital, they'll say, oh, it's nothing, it's fine. They'll send her home with probably some Tylenol. And next thing you know, she has a heart attack and she dies. But then if you have someone who's Caucasian who comes in and say, hey, I have chest pains, they get the above and beyond treatment. Forget it, red carpet treatment. Right. So with that being said, is many forms that have elevated from slavery. We also, you know, supposedly we have the Fair Housing Act. We know that's not fair. We have the redlining where um, it's hard for people of color to buy a house. We have so many things that separate us. You know what I mean? So slavery just evolved and mass incarceration is one of them. And it's unfortunate that 95% of everyone that is sitting in a prison system or a jail is a person of color. I just is, I, 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 I mean, I'm understanding it because I know what the motive is, is to eliminate the race. That's, that's basically what it is. If you want me to be real, but it's just like, I'm just trying to understand how to overcome that and fight that. Yeah, I, and as far as what I understand, because I, you know, I have to do a lot of research to do my advocacy for Leonard because I've, I've lived in Central Florida for 31 years, and so from what I understand, like Alabama's just very blatant about it. They're not even trying to hide the fact that they're a very racist, backward state. For example, their constitution is still from 1901, wow. and they operate with a constitution that's over 100 years old. And it's actually, um, according to my research, the longest constitution in the entire world because they keep on adding amendments upon amendments upon amendments and it just keeps getting more confusing. So they have a constitution that is founded when slavery was actually still legal, I believe. And then also they've been called out in the news for uh, voter fraud because like for example where i live you have to vote within your district and i'm not really sure that that's the case in alabama because what i'm reading is that white voting blocks are actually blocking the black vote absolutely in the state of alabama there is only white judges at every level of the judicial system they don't have anything other than white judges and on top of that I can say from blog posts that I've researched about Leonard's original trial judge from a decade ago, former judge Rusty, retired judge Rusty Johnston, a few years after Leonard's conviction, he comes out and says that uh, he's criticizing the Black Lives Matter movement and saying that it's a lie and that there's reasons all of these black men are getting killed in the streets, that it's not for no reason that the cops are killing them, and then comes out in a different Facebook post, I believe, and says that immigrants are peasants and that's why we need this wall. Wow. And it's just so in Alabama, they just let it all hang out, you know? Yes, down south is a little bit more um you have certain places like uh in my beginning 20s um me and 
my husband at the time, I decided like maybe North Carolina is a better route for me because it was cheaper because New York State was expensive and still oh, yeah. is very expensive. Yeah, yeah. Now, this was probably about 18 years ago. And I was on the phone with my mom, uh, but I think I got off the wrong stop uh, of the bus. So I was just like aimlessly walking and I was talking to her and she was telling me, well, you know, um, see if you can find a gas station, most likely they might have a cab number. So I was just, I stopped in front of somebody's house and a police officer came and they said, what are you doing here? And I'm like, uh, I think I'm lost. Like. I'm talking to my mom. I'm trying to figure out how can I get uh, back on the bus or either a cab so I can get where I'm going. So he's like, um, well, I could tell by your northern draw. I didn't even know what that meant. And he was like, that you're from up north. And I said, yeah. And he was like, well, how we do things around here. He's like, you see that lady? So I turned around and looked at the house. Now, the lady was in the window with a shotgun. Oh, a Caucasian lady. And he said, the way we work, how we do things out here, um, you can't just stop in front of somebody's house. This is her property. And he was like, luckily enough, she called the police instead of coming out and shooting you. And I'm like, wow, well, I'm from New York. He's like, yeah, New York, I know. Yeah, I don't have houses like that. It's not like that. He was like, but I'm just giving you a friendly reminder. And I was like, wow. And then um, he was like, well, do you want me to give you a ride? The gas station is down the block. And I was already like a little struck by how the lady, an older lady, was in the window with a shotgun and how he just approached me. So I was like, no, I don't need a ride. I can walk. <laughs> so I walked to the gas station and got me a cab. But that just shows you like how you can make a wrong turn somewhere and be in a totally different county or wherever and no one looks like you, you know? So, and this was just 18 years ago and we have a lot of places, especially Florida, because I know you mentioned Florida. Florida is definitely a red state, definitely a red state. So there's a lot of places that, especially down South, period. And Alabama, like, I mean, that's where that's the heart of everything. If you want to be technical, that's where everything started as far as the uh, racial bus thing where, you know, yeah. if you sat on the bus, if you sat on yeah. the front of the bus and a white person told you, hey, get up. I want that seat. You had to get up. So, you know, it, it is the heart of a lot of stuff. So I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. I think that um, it's a lot of why he was railroaded and also the district attorney who originally convicted or was part of his conviction, DA Ashley Ridge, she has actually been named an outlier for death. Like she, um, Mobile County came out in a Harvard report as being an outlier for death penalty cases. And she prosecuted, I think seven out of eight of them. And so she's also been called out in like USA Today, Filter Magazine questioning her prosecutorial conduct and kind of like hey I think she operates under prosecutorial misconduct so um for sure like it's just um a lot of it I think has to do with um you know I've read like a psychology articles for example saying that we tend to favor people who are similar to us and so uh Leonard was definitely 
at a disadvantage being in a southern state where they kind of already frown upon black people and african-american people yeah right right that's is i i mean i've been hearing about this since i'm 39 i've been hearing about this for a long time um you know, I had an uncle also who was in a situation. This was way before I, bo- I was born. I believe my mother was like 10 years old. So um, this was like in the early 70s. It had to be like the late 60s. My uncle um, was getting robbed, I believe, by a couple of Caucasian men. And a police officer came over and he thought that the police officer was going to help him. But unfortunately, it didn't happen that way. And then the police officer tried to engage into also trying to attack him as well. So he fought for his life and wound up killing the police officer. And he had to do, like, so much time. Like, it was it was bad. And it was also, like, to the point where he studied the prison system. And he broke out of the prison, prison system. It was on in the news and everything. This was way before I was born. But it just shows you, like, you know, how these things are, like, how it, like, with the history of it. And it seems like, you know, without our voices, no one would know (laughs) about these things that are going on, you know? You can just look online and pull up many secrets of the prison system from each state, and that's horrible. And most of the the victims are people of color, again. That's right. That's right. I think that's why the work that we're doing here and all the, the advocates that advocate along with me on social media, TikTok, whatnot, like the, we, we just have to keep raising our collective voices so that, you know, these stories actually come to light and they're not just hidden, um, you know, like, I'll give you an example of what you're saying because these cops like they're part of the problem as well as you're saying so there's a young man who is incarcerated in the same facility where my husband is and he's incarcerated because he just happened to be in the same place when a cop shot his friend to death so because of this like accomplice law or I don't know the actual technical name for the law in Alabama because this he was a teenager at the time by the way a juvenile was in the same place as when the cop shot his friend to death. Now he's doing time for it, not the cop. So it's it's just another example of like, the problem actually starts before the inmate even gets to prison. The problem is with the improper police investigations. Exactly. The problem exactly. is with the bias that happens at trial. The problem is with these judges who are not impartial, these DAs who are corrupt, and then these men go into a further inhumane prison system. The system is broken from the start. Absolutely. Like, you see, like, there was a young gentleman, um, I can't think of his name right now, I don't know how, but it was a, he's been all over, like, I believe Jay-Z, um, also did the documentary from him, for him and Mike Brown. Um, okay. I think it's Khalif, uh, Khalif. Khalif Browder? Khalif right. Browder is yeah. from your area. From yeah, he's York, from, right? he's actually that. from my, my block where I grew up at. Because he did time in Rikers, right? Right. He never and when even he, got to go to trial. They just left him there. 
Right. And when he came home, right. he was like tra- traumatized. Like he killed himself. Yeah. So a lot yeah, of people I- try to say, oh, he killed himself. No, the prison system killed him. They failed yeah. him because he was just a child. He was 16 yeah. years old. And then come to find right. out that uh, this wasn't even, he didn't even do this. Because they couldn't even find the person who made the original uh, charges. And it's just unfortunate that look at what we're doing to our youth. Look what we're doing to our men. Like, we're breaking them down. So, with that being said, I always shed light on um, him. I didn't know him personally, but my little cousin was, uh, like, best friends with him. He was also in the documentary as well, my little cousin. So, it's just like... It's just like, it's heartbreaking because it's so many stories like that. You also have Diallo, the African guy who was going to school, who didn't bother nobody. He came out of his house and they told him freeze and he was trying to show him the wallet, you know, like, hey, this is all I have on him. And they shot him 42 times. I just don't understand that. If you are so scared to be on the force, you don't need to be working as a police officer. Bottom line. Thank you. Bottom line. Because not everybody is out here trying to kill a police officer. We're not, you know, we're more scared of you if you want to be technical. Because we know at the drop of a second, things can go brutally wrong. Okay? Like, when I got stopped by the police officer, I was like, you know, very shaken. But thank God I had somebody with me. But I knew I addressed the police officer with respect. Uh, they asked me for my license to registration. Police, you know, excuse me, may I go in my glove department and get my yeah. registration? You have to talk to these people because, yeah. you know what I mean? And I was on camera. Maybe that was another reason, too. Because I was like, um, I had, like, my camera up. So when they pulled us over, I just put it on video, just to be honest. And it shouldn't be like that. No. Absolutely not. Um, oh, I forgot what I was gonna say. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, you said something. You said something, and I was like, I was gonna agree with it, but I lost it. It's all right. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, so. Oh yeah. no, that I remember now. That the Khalif Browder story. I could only watch the first episode of it. I could only watch um, like episode one, and it just weighed so heavy on my heart. I still haven't watched the next one in the series. Um, and. I remember he did time at Rikers, and that's how I learned how inhumane the conditions actually are at Rikers as well. Yes, um, he he did. He was like, and what's also sad about it was when he got locked up because he was so young. You know, he was the average height of of a young gentleman. You know, and he had a lot of he he fought a lot and. You know, unfortunately, when you fight in jail, that leaves you in the hole. Like, it's called a box. So yes, it's like ma'am. a tight four walls. Yep. Uh, you know, you're not... You're just sitting in there, basically, probably 23 hours of the day. And most of your time is that that 24th hour, they give you, like, um, the choice to go outside and walk around in another box. Or you can go take a shower. So these are the type of conditions. So, you know, you gotta think about yes. it. Imagine being 16 years old, scared, you don't know what's going on, and you're just like left for dead in a box. Like, you know, it's to the point where they had to take the uh, I guess solitary out 
for, you know, people that were coming in, the youth that were between the ages of 16 to 18. I think the box should be only for people like with animalistic type of behavior where they can't, right, you know, right. like they cannot be contained. Control. Right. Yeah. Like it is it, a lot of things that need to be really changed in the whole system. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I'm not even sure that I, I think police probably have to do like a psychological evaluation before they hit the streets. But I don't even think it's working, to be quite honest. Whatever we're doing is not working. And on top of that, if judges and DAs are not undergoing psychological evaluations before stepping into a courtroom that's another problem right there as well right um i just saw this story and i posted it to my instagram a few days ago of this this young man that was shot 33 times in los angeles and according to the law the officers were not even legally supposed to be pursuing his vehicle and so these things are still happening today and um it's it's quite sickening so the system is definitely broken from the officers in the street to the courtroom right to and, the prison system. and you know what's mind-boggling about you know the 42 shots the 33 shots like this is what i would think if i'm on the force and let's just say technically something is happening and yeah. i do have to shoot someone me, this is what I, I'm just saying common sense. But, you know, we live in, in a world where common sense is not common anymore. So yeah. I also have to put that in perspective. But if I was right. a police officer, I would think, okay, he's trying to come at me or attack me. Whatever the case is, let me shoot him in his leg so it can stop him. You get what I'm saying? And then I'll go forward and arrest yeah. him or something like that 42 yeah, times right. 33 times and then nine times out of ten when they go to the victim he doesn't even have a weapon on him that's right that that's yes. what's bothering me like come on yes. absolutely this poor man that i just mentioned his his body was unrecognizable and on top of that they didn't even notify his family for seven days this has nothing to do anymore with properly completing their jobs. This is just murder at this point. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And there's so many cases like we also have women dying. Sandra Bland. We have so many people that's like is the list is growing. Like I can't even keep count anymore. If I wanted to, it would take like a whole podcast show to yes. name name yes. all the names. Like and that's so sad. True. And like it's bad because I was watching 12 Years as a Slave just probably like two days ago. And I was just thinking about like, you know, how the police started. The police started through slavery where they would, you know, actually circumference whatever area that they were at. And if any person of color didn't have the right papers and I'm talking maybe free papers but it really didn't matter if you had free papers because sometimes depending on the KKKs or what type of Caucasian group approached you they didn't care about the free papers they would still put you in slavery or they would kill you but if you had papers probably being free or maybe you were going to the grocery store for your slave master you were probably granted seniority to keep on your way but you that's how the police originally started 
as catching slaves. So with that being said, it just makes you your mind open up a little bit more to the technicalities of what we're going through today. Yeah, I I read a Washington Post article early in my advocacy efforts for Leonard saying that, and I wish I could remember who was the author of it or what the title was. I might have actually posted it to my Instagram page at that time, saying that um, basically our modern day policing and criminal justice system was created to control the African-American population. I mean, the Washington Post is writing this for goodness sake. Absolutely. I I totally believe that. It's a lot of things that they do to control the black race. I'm just honestly speaking, you know, um, but that that is just unfortunate because I know whoever I speak to, we can speak anybody I can speak. That's truly, you know, down for the cause. We can talk about this for days, you know, like the subject is is so. It's infinitive. That's what I can say. It just keeps going and going because it's so much history that is behind it, you know? Um, so let's switch gears a little bit because um, yeah. I do see that I'm running out a little bit of time, but I'm really enjoying this conversation because this is what I do. Um, so uh, what 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 are we what are you trying to move forward and do now as far as, you know, trying to uh, get your husband out, like what, what's going on now? So that way the viewers can, you know, understand like, where are, where are y'all at now? Like, so we can understand like, is he coming home soon? Like how, how is that going? So basically we're still waiting for the judge's decision as to whether Leonard is going to be granted an evidentiary hearing. And we were supposed to receive that decision within a week of the January 26th court date, and we've been waiting for two months. Okay, you and did so say that. We're not sure, to be quite honest, so I have just continued asking people to sign at change.org slash Coleman. I have a couple of exonerees that were gracious enough to say they would wear Justice for Leonard Coleman shirts, so I designed um, a men's version, a ladies' version, and I'm sending them out to people who are willing to be like basically free advertising for us. Um, I've been trying to get his story into magazines and uh, having people share on their social media. I haven't been successful yet at getting him on a national or local news story or having magazine coverage, but uh, that's where I'm at right now because I would just like Mogo County Circuit Court to know that people do care about him and his life matters and that they need to be as quick to right their wrong as they were to wrongfully convict him. And so, um, but yeah, we're still in a waiting pattern right now. Um, We filed the evidence April 20th of last year and he is still, he just passed a decade of being wrongfully imprisoned in January, so. Okay, excellent. So um, I will definitely uh, showcase this on my, Instagram. I have a lot of different people that follow me and I truly hope that this comes across someone who can, you know, pull some strings, help, you know, um, I will also showcase, no problem. I will also showcase this on my Facebook page that's up and growing. 
Um, I'm in the process of trying to do another website. I used to have another website before, but I had to take it down. So um, I'm in the process of doing that. So I definitely will reach out to you in the future. So I can definitely showcase you on the website as well. Because I believe that stories like this, everyone should know about, you know. Um, we have to come together. That's the only way for us to be able to fight the cause. So I definitely yeah. believe that. So um, lastly, uh, can you please share like your social media, things of that nature, just so that way we can stay updated with uh, what's going on? Yeah, sure. So right now, um, I'm not really a big social media person. So all I have is the one platform on Instagram. So the petition link is at change.org slash free Leonard Coleman. And it just passed like around 17,300 signatures, but of course the more the better. And so for anyone that signed, you know, if you're willing to leave a comment and share it even better. And then the Instagram page where everyone can see my latest posts and what's going on with his case. And I do showcase like different um, issues that are going on in the state of Alabama and, and not just his case. It's um, Instagram is justice for Leonard Coleman. Okay, perfect, perfect. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on the Wicked Wisdom Podcast Show. I commend you for Thank your you. bravery and your constant drive towards this case. I truly hope that this comes to an end. And I wish you and your husband great success on this. Um, and everyone else, you know, the show has come to an end. So you can always catch a show every two weeks on a Sunday at 9 p.m. And you can follow me on Instagram, spiritual underscore Jada. And you can always email me at spiritual, excuse me, spiritual.jada at gmail.com. Peace and blessings, everyone. Bye.